Welcome to Matan's Parsha podcast, Sefer Dvarim. Each week, a different Matan teacher will share words of Torah to illuminate the Parsha and your week. Today's Shiur and Parshat Vet Chanan will be given by Rabbanit Leah Herzog, who has been teaching in several Matan branches since making Aliyah in 2019. Hello, everyone. Before we begin the actual Shiur, I want to start with a story or a riddle or something for you to think about. We will get back to this at the very end, and it goes as follows. Imagine yourself on a road, and you are stopped on that road by a very ugly, menacing troll. And you cannot go to the left, you cannot go to the right. You are trapped by the troll. And the troll says as follows. You have to make a choice. You can choose to lose your vision, or you can choose to lose your hearing. You have to choose one, otherwise you will lose both. So this is the story, and I'd like you to keep the story in the back of your mind as we go through the Shi'ur. Parashat Va'etchanan is the second parasha of Sefer Dvarim. Sefer Dvarim, also known as Torat Moshe, is a review, as it were, of the entire Torah. Moshe is at the end of his life. It is the 40th year in the Midbar. And Moshe is speaking to the second generation, which will become very important to the Shi'ur, before they enter Eretz Kena'an. According to the Ramban, Sefer Tvarim has five functions. First function, which is the most obvious, is a review, right? A chazara. The second function, as is mentioned in Perik Aleph Pasukei, is a be'ur, is a clarification. In some ways, Sefer Tvarim is actually the beginning of Torah Sheba'al Peh, rather than the end of Torah Sheba'al And it demonstrates that there's a seamless flow from one to the other. The Ramban continues and says another function of Sefer Dvarim is an azhara, a warning. Don't do this, don't do that, because you saw what happened in the past when you did this and that. The fourth function is as idud, as an encouragement. It reminds us of the chasadim that HaKadosh Baruch Hu did for us. And it encourages us that just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu took care of us in the Midbar, just like HaKadosh Baruch Hu took care of us and took us out of Mitzrayim, so too HaKadosh Baruch Hu will protect us in Eretz Kena'an. The fifth function, according to the Ramban, is a tochacha. This is what Rashi mentions also in Pasuk Aleph, Eilah Dvarim, the Lashon of Dibur, of speaking is harsh. And for Rashi, the Tochacha, the rebuke, is actually the main function of the Sefer. For the Ramban, it's just one of five. So we need to keep this in mind whenever we're learning anything in Sefer Dvarim, that Sefer Dvarim is an edited version. It's not just a repeat. It's Moshe reviewing the past and reteaching what B'nai Israel have already learned, but he's doing it in a very specific way so that they can carry it into the future. Parashat Ve'etchanan contains some incredibly important and well-known elements. It begins with the repeat of Moshe's plea to Hashem to let him enter Eretz Israel, 
and Hashem very famously saying no and telling him to appoint Yehoshua. From there, the parasha moves on to the description of Matan Torah and a repeat with some notable differences of the Aserat Adibrot. After that, we move to Shema Yisrael and V'yahavta, and after Shema Yisrael V'yahavta, there are four connected parashiot that talk about entering into Eretz Yisrael, what they will find there, what they are responsible for, what they should and shouldn't do with what they find there. And the parasha ends with the section of the Chacham, Ki Shalcha Bin Chamachar, Maha Edot, etc. Right? That when your children ask you in the future, what is the function and the meaning of all of these halachot? What I want to fo- focus on today is that introduction to Matan Torah that we find in Perik Dalet. If you look through the Perik, you will notice that there is a motif that runs through the section. The motif is what you heard at Matan Torah rather than what you saw and experienced. There is one pasuk that is dedicated to the visual experience of Matan Torah, the fact that the mountain was bo'er ba'esh, right, that it's flaming. But in the next pasuk, perik dalet, pasuk yudbet, it says very explicitly that you heard the voice of Hashem, you did not see anything, the only thing was a kol. And as a matter of fact, that word kol, kufav lamed, is mentioned twice in one pasuk. We know that's automatically a flag, pay attention to me. But the Pele continues, and Moshe repeats in pasuk after pasuk after pasuk after pasuk, what B'nai Yisrael did not see. They did not see a tavnit, a form of this. They did not see a form of that. They did not see a form of the other thing. Over and over and over again, Moshe says, you did not see this, you did not see that, you heard Hashem spoke to you, he said to you, and that concept of hearing is carried through the rest of the parasha. We famously say every single day, two, three times a day, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, hear, listen, understand, not re'e, not see. And the Mepharshim talk about what the meaning of the word Shema is. And the Svolno explains that Shema is not just to hear, not just to take in sound. The Ibn Ezra says that word is laha'azin, from the word ozen, il. But lishmoa is to understand, is to process and to think. So the question becomes, why, in fact, is Moshe emphasizing hearing over seeing? Because if we go back into Sefer Shmot and look at the first-person account, so to speak, we look at the journalistic account of Matan Torah, when B'nai Yisrael are actually receiving the Torah, it is an omnimax experience, surround sound, all Five senses are engaged. The ground underneath them was trembling. There was smoke. There was lightning. There was thunder. 
There were sounds and light shows. There was nivu'ah. There was out-of-body experiences. Every single one of the senses was employed. And if you had to kind of zoom in, as it were, on one of the five senses, we think about the sense of vision. We saw Moshe going up to Har Sinai. We saw the cloud. We saw the fire. We even saw the thunder. Things that would normally be heard were actually seen. Whereas again here in Parashat Ve'etchanan, really what's emphasized is hearing. In order to really understand what's going on here, we really have to go back to the beginning, the beginning of humanity, the beginning of the world. So I take you back to Sefer Breshit, Perek Gimel. We have a man and a woman. They're not even named yet. The man is called Ha'adam, and the woman is called Ishto. And she's called Isha because she is the female form of the species of Ish. Adam and Isha, or Ish and Isha, are placed in Gan Eden. They're placed somewhere where all of their physical needs are completely satisfied, and they're placed somewhere where they experience Hashem face to face, just as you would experience someone who would walk into the room and start talking to you now. It was the most intimate, personal, close threesome. HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Ish, and Isha. Ish ve'ishto are actually given three mitzvot. Two are mitzvot aseh, and one is a mitzvot lota aseh. And I think it's important to take note of that, that at the very beginning of humanity, we are given more to do than to avoid. The first mitzvah that Ish ve'isha are given is given in Perek Aleph. Right? Go forth, be fruitful, be many, fill the land, and conquer it. In other words, be the top of the animal kingdom. Rav Salavechik talks about the first humans as Adam one, as majestic man, as man who is commanded to go out and take over. Not take over to abuse or extort, but to take over to understand, understand how the world works and figure out ways to survive and thrive in that world. The second command that Adam and Isha are given is once they're already in Gan Eden. And that command is Mikol et Bagan Tochel that you not only can, but you should eat from every tree that is in this garden. You should take full advantage of everything that you have here. After those two mitzvot say, we get the mitzvot lotose. And the mitzvot lotose is probably the most famous one, is don't eat that fruit of that tree. And by the way, I'm specifically avoiding naming the tree. It is not an apple tree. 
The Gemara has a huge machloket as to what kind of a tree or what kind of a growth it was. So let's just call it the tree, right? The Eitz Hada'at Tov Vira. There's a specific tree. They knew which tree it was. They had a, one specific command, right? They saw the tree. They recognized the tree. They saw Hashem. Dr. Gerald Schroeder, in his book, Genesis and the Big Bang, talks about how Adam and Isha are, in fact, not the fo- first Homo sapiens, but are actually the first Homo sapien sapient. In simpler language, they're not the first humanoids, but they're the first Nivi'im. And they're the Nivi'im of the highest order, right? The Midrash talks about how Adam's feet were on the ground and his head was in Shemayim. That metaphorically, Adam was a human who could span both the physical world and the metaphysical world, and he could imagine and conceive of the divine to the extent that he could communicate with it. The story takes a very tragic turn, we know. And Chava, as she is named later, so at the beginning it's still Isha, has some kind of a conversation, whether literal or in her head, with a nachash. And the Gemara famously says, Zeha nachash, zeha In any case, there's some kind of a conversation, there's some kind of a debate, whether external or internal, between Chava and herself or between Chava and this nachash. And what is it that happens? As the Pasuk says in Perik Gimel, and the woman saw that the tree was good. For eating. And that it was desirable to the eyes. And it was also pleasing to think about. And she took of the fruit, and she ate it, and she also gave it to her husband. So in this pasuk, we have two elements of vision. She saw the tree, and it was desirable to the eyes. It was her eyes that actually deceived her. What the experience was went straight from the eyes to the lahaskil, to contemplate or to think about. It was a very direct, immediate process. But something was missing. She didn't stop to think. When you see something, when something is in front of you, you don't really think about it. In the field of educational psychology, this is called content becoming process. As babies and as young children, what we see has to be explained to us. We don't even think about that anymore, right? This is a ball. This is a fork. This is a flower. Whatever it is, this is mommy. This is daddy. As we move out of infancy and childhood, really by the time we're about four or five years old, we don't stop to think about what we're seeing, right? A picture is worth a thousand words. Somehow we assume that what we see is superior.
superior. It is the highest form of reality. That's actually true. Moshe is complimented by the Torah as being called that he sees Hashem panim el panim. He sees Hashem face to face. The Gemara says that Moshe saw Hashem in a way that is referred to as an aspaklaria mi'ira. Think of the word sparkle in English. Moshe saw Hashem through a crystal clear pane of glass. On the other hand, the Torah tells us in Parashat Kitisa, when Moshe asks to see Hashem, Hashem says, Lo yirani ha'adam v'chai. A person cannot see my face or cannot see my essence directly and continue to live. So vision, while it is the clearest and the most potent and the highest way of intersecting with Hashem, is also the most fragile and the most delicate. And it is also the one that is most susceptible to deceit. It is most susceptible to being skewed. We say in that same tefillah of Shema Yisrael, in the third paragraph, the one of tzitzit, the one where we look at something, right? Tzitzit are a visual mitzvah. Tzitzit is something that you wear during the day because it says, Ure'item oto. But why do we look at tzitzit? Velo taturu acharei levavachem veacharei enichem asher atem zonim achareihem. Your eyes, which then lead to your heart and your desire, were back in Gan Eden, right? She saw it. She desired it. She didn't stop to think about it. So the tzitzit are supposed to remind us, don't assume that what you see is what is real. B'nai Yisrael, at this point, have been living in a midbal for 40 years. The reason they lived in a midbal for 40 years is because their eyes deceived them. Their eyes deceived them in Mitzrayim, which was the height of technological achievement. Mitzrayim at that time was like New York, Tokyo, Tel Aviv, glittering, progressive, startup, the top of the technological food chain. It was an international port. It had trade from all over the world. It had people from all over the world. It was visual overload. And B'nai Israel were taken in by it. The Gemara tells us that B'nai Israel were at the 49th level of Tum'ah by the time they left Mitzrayim because what they saw corrupted them. When they got into the Midbar, and they got into this wilderness, and we'll talk about the word mibar in a moment. And they sent meraglim, right? They sent anashim, actually, if you look in Parashat Shlach. They sent anashim latul to see, to scope it out. And what those men saw so frightened them and so short-circuited their minds and their emunah that they freaked the people out. And so the people had to stay in this Midbal for another 38 years. 
Let's stop for a moment and think about what a midbar is and what the word midbar means. The word midbar has at its shoresh, its root, the word davar, or diber, dalid bet resh. So midbar is a place from which speech comes. A midbar is silent. It's at first glance and at first listen. It is devoid of sound. It is relatively featureless, whether it's the Sahara type of desert that's all sand or the Sinai type of desert that isn't sand, but it's that same gray, brown, slate, mountain, valley, gravel, dust, right? There's, there's nothing to look at in a midbal, certainly not at first glance. The point of being in a midbal, which in some ways is similar to what we have now experienced in the last year and a half or so of this pandemic, is silence. It's being shut off and shut away from all of those glittering lights and all of that stimulation. And what we're left with is ourselves. We're left alone. And that's terrifying. Being left alone is terrifying when you've spent your whole life being surrounded by stimulation. But that was exactly the point of the midbar. You go into the midbar so that you can hear your own voice. In Sefer Hoshea, when Bnei Yisrael are at a really low level and Hashem is ready to give up on them, he talks about taking Bnei Yisrael into the midbar. But he talks about taking them into the Midbar, as the Malbim explains, so that he can just go back to being alone with them. It, it's like a honeymoon in a way. Being in the Midbar is a place where you can hear your own voice, and you can hear the voice of your Nishama, and you can hear the voice of Hashem. And this is the reality that the people have been living with, this second generation. I go back to the beginning, right? We're in the 40th year. This is the second generation. This is a generation who grew up in the Midbar, who grew up in this incredibly rarefied environment of where their food was provided for them every day and their water was provided for them every day and their clothes were provided for them and their whole existence, which was like a Gan Eden existent before Adam and his wife were banished before the chait. Everything was provided for them. And what they heard was their own voice. What they heard was Moshe's voice. They didn't even see Moshe's face, right? Moshe's face was covered by a veil. Their whole experience was hearing, not seeing, as was Adam and his wife after the chait. What did they hear? Kol Hashem mithalech bagan. They heard Hashem's voice. Because vision is so fragile and so pure, like a piece of glass, it can easily be broken. On the one hand, 
A picture is worth a thousand words. On the one hand, we want to see Hashem panim el panim. But on the other hand, vision is deceptive. Vision leads us down the wrong way. We are attracted to everything that glitters, even though we're told all that glitters is not gold. Moshe himself was attracted to the diamonds and the gold and the midrash. And it was the malach who had to push his hand towards the coal. That Midrash is telling us that what sparkles looks pretty, but might actually be very dangerous and could even cost you your lives. And it's at the end of the day, while kol and while hearing might be second best, it is the best way to continue. So let's get back to our parasha. B'nai Yisrael are about to enter Eretz Yisrael. Eretz Kena'an. Eretz Kena'an is full of stuff. The Torah tells us in Perek Zion, you are going to see houses, batim, that you haven't built. You are going to see wells that you haven't dug. You are going to see cities that you are now going to inhabit. It is a land of civilization. In some parts of it, like in the area of the Plishtim and the area of Chatzor, they were Areas of civilization that were on par with the Egyptian civilization. So B'nai Israel are leaving that cocoon of sound and going back into a place of sight. And that sight can be extremely luring and extremely alluring because we like to see things. That's how we're wired. And Hashem and Moshe is warning them, Hashem is not something visual. Don't be seduced by what you see. Remember that Hashem is not a form. Remember that Hashem is not a mountain, is not a tree, is not a rock, is not a statue. Hashem is a voice. Hashem is the voice of your neshama, and it is the voice that you tune into. So Moshe is stressing this in the lead up to the Aseret Hadibot. Moshe is stressing this in Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad. You have to understand it. Because here's what hearing, what Shmi'ah forces us to do that Re'iyah does not. In order to understand language, you have to process it. Shmi'ah is not just hearing it, like you hear a piece of music. When you hear someone speaking, in order to be able to communicate, to converse, to learn together, you have to understand what that person is saying. You have to both literally and metaphorically speak the same language. And in order to understand somebody's language, you have to be able to think. It is a step between perception and emotion. And this step is actually what saves us. And this step is actually what protects us. And this step is actually the foundation of Torah Shebe'al not Torah Shebichtav. Torah Shebichtav is written, it's seen, 
Torah Shebaal Peh is spoken, it's heard, it's communicated. What Moshe is doing in Sefer Dvarim, what he's handing over to Bnei Yisrael at that moment that he knows he is not going to go with them. He is no longer going to be that visible link between them and HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And we know from all of Sefer Nevi'im how much the people did not listen to Nevi'im. A Navi is not really convincing. The only thing that is convincing in following the word of Hashem is your own nishama, is your community that you live in, is your teachers that teach you, is your, is your guides, your mentors, your kohanim, your shoftim. And we know what happens when those people fail. At the end of the day, each one of us is still left with our own nishama, and we can't avoid that nishama. And we need to listen to that nishama. So Moshe says, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. And then he goes on and he says, Lo tenasu et Hashem. Don't test him. Don't ask him to reveal himself because he's not going to. Again, Hashem is not visible. Don't be seduced by everything that you see. Rather, Ki yishalcha bincha machal. When your son in the future, your children in the future, ask you, why do we keep these halachot? You explain it to them. You teach it to them. It is a oral tradition. You tell, right? We speak. Ours is a religion of speaking. And in order to speak, you need to hear. And in order to hear, you need to understand. So I want to go back now to that original troll story. Remember the troll? And I want you to answer the question in your own mind. What would you rather lose? Would you rather lose your sight and maintain your hearing? Or would you rather lose your hearing and maintain your sight? And I imagine that each one of you has a unique answer and a unique reason for your answer. And it would be really cool if you found somebody else who listened to this podcast and talked about it. So I'm going to share with you a little bit of my own history because I wasn't given a choice. When I was 18 years old, I was diagnosed with a visual disease, a retinal disease called retinitis pigmentosa. And that is a disease that is progressive. And when I was 18, I was told that I would be blind or could be blind by the time I was 23. And if not by then, then certainly by the time I was in my mid-40s. So at 18 years old, I was given a sentence that I would lose my vision. Here's the good news. Here's the happy ending to the story. I can still see and I can still hear because there's also an auditory component to this disease where your hearing gets affected. The truth is, and I've thought about this many, many times, and I've been asked this many, many times by students over the years. If you had to choose, what would you choose? And after many years of thinking about it, I've come to my own conclusion 
that, as we know, Hashem gives you what you can handle. Probably the most precious thing to me is my relationships with other people, my ability to speak with them, to learn with them, to teach them, to hear from them, to engage with them, to get to know them. And that is speech. I can imagine, whether I can see it or not, what a flower looks like, what the ocean looks like. And mercifully, I don't have to imagine what my children's faces look like. But if I had to, I could. But I can't substitute a conversation, at least not for me. And just as an FYI, there are members of my extended family who are hearing impaired. And they've had to grapple with their decision or with their troll that took the decision away from them. And I don't mean to impugn or diminish those people who would choose to keep their sight and lose their hearing. I'm talking about me and my decision or the decision that HaKadosh Baruch Hu thrust upon me. So when I say Shema Yisrael, it's much more personal. When I read this parak about how Hashem manifested himself by a voice and not by a form, I find it very, very comforting because it means that I too can connect with my divine. I don't have to rely on the vision that is either clouded or limited or temporary. So that's the message I want to leave with all my listeners right now is be grateful for what you have, appreciate what you have, don't be deceived by what's external, and take the time to spend with yourself, with your nishama, with your own midbar, so that we can all enter Eretz Yisrael and appreciate all of the tuv that HaKadosh Baruch Hu has given us. Shabbat Shalom. Thanks for listening. You can stream and download all Matan podcast episodes on Spotify, iTunes, and Matan's website. Feel free to share feedback with us as you listen. You can write us at podcast at matan.org.il. That's podcast at matan.org.il. Lastly, please do Matan podcast and women's Torah learning a small favor by sharing this podcast with family and friends so that we can reach new audiences. Shabbat Shalom.